Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We are right smack in the middle of a great week in the church's calendar. It's called the Week of Christian Unity. And unity is one of the goals of this program. So I'm so glad you're listening to us because we are very committed to unity in the church, especially unity between the two lungs of the church, as St. John Paul II referred to it as, the Eastern and Western churches, the two lungs, where the church breathes with two lungs, East and West, two venerable ancient expressions of the one same faith. And there are many jurisdictions within those expressions, but basically in the history of the church, just as in civilization, there were fundamentally two different worldviews or approaches, an Eastern approach and a Western approach. That's true in the secular world, in civilization, but it is also therefore true in the church. And all that we do here at Light of the East is dedicated towards unity between the two lungs of the church. Now, as an Eastern Catholic, we here at Light of the East are Eastern Catholics. We are in full communion, of course, and full unity with the Roman Catholic Church. The Pope is our Pope, as it is for many of you. But we work towards the day when those who are not in union with each other, such as the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Churches, we work for the day when that will happen again. Because the body of Christ is not supposed to be torn apart. That is a great scandal. It has been for over a thousand years. It must be healed. We must bring the body of Christ back together again. That is a big part of our mission here on Light of the East. In that spirit of unity, we have a special guest here, a great friend of ours here at Light of the East, a great friend of the Eastern Church, is a great friend of any efforts towards unity, and that is our good friend Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione from San Francisco. Welcome, Archbishop, to Light of the East. So, Archbishop, you are committed as well as we are to unity in the church. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing as an archbishop and actually what's happening in other areas of the the Latin rite, the western lung of the church, in terms of efforts towards unity with the Eastern Orthodox churches. I know there's got to be unity, especially between the Latin rite and the Protestant churches. We hope for that as well. But primarily for our purposes here, lie the East, what's happening between the Roman church and the Eastern churches? 
We're blessed in San Francisco to have a very good relationship with the Greek Orthodox community, something that has been in place for a very long time now, preceding my arrival for by many years. There is a Greek Orthodox bishop uh, based in San Francisco, and we have a very good relationship. It was has been enhanced over the last uh, many years by two of our pastors in south of San Francisco in the city of Belmont. There is a Roman Catholic parish and a Greek Orthodox parish there across the street from each other. The two pastors had, I say had because our pastors have been moved, but for many years they were pastors there and they had a very good relationship and that helped to enhance my relationship with Metropolitan Gerasimos in San Francisco. And we've had a, a, a practice, uh, at least ever since I've arrived there, of the two parishes taking turns hosting an event of prayer. You mentioned about the Week of Christian Unity. The emphasis really is on prayer. It's a week of prayer for Christian unity. Our practice has been that during this week of prayer for Christian unity, the Catholic parish will host uh, sung Vespers, and uh, that which I preside and Metropolitan Gerasimos preaches at. Then during Lent, uh, the Greek Orthodox parish, which happens to be the parish of the Holy Cross, hosts the Salutations to the Holy Cross service, at which Metropolitan Gerasimos presides, and I preach at. So we've been uh, building up uh, bridges and uh, closer bonds of, of communion, even though it's still an imperfect communion between our two communities. I think this is uh, critical to building up unity in the Church, that our people come together to pray and to get to know each other, to familiarize themselves with each other's traditions. And uh, you speak often, Father Tom, as you did at the beginning of the program, the church breathing with two lungs. And the two different worldviews, I would qualify that, they're two different but complementary worldviews. And I still recall the first sermon I preached at the Salutations to the Holy Cross, I, I tapped into that. Uh, thinking about in the ancient world, when Christianity spread in the ancient world, it was the Greek and Roman traditions, each lending what they were really good at to help spread the faith. The Greeks, of course, are the great philosophers. So all of those categories of Greek philosophy, which the Church utilized to develop our understanding of the revelation that it is in Scripture, comes out of our, our, our Jewish roots, but has been so enhanced and deepened by uh, study and reflection on this uh, body of truth, the deposit of faith, through the use of uh, the categories of Greek philosophy. And then the Roman world provided the infrastructure for spreading that through the, the whole Roman Empire with the system of roads, the system of law. And mm -hmm. we've developed a whole area of canon law, too, within the Church. So the, the Romans tradition leading its genius, the Greek tradition leading its genius, they work together in a complementary fashion, which helped to build uh, a Christian civilization in, in the ancient world uh, that led to a flourishing uh, many centuries later. So I think when we speak about Christian unity, we also need to reflect on how each of our traditions can lend its particular genius, its particular strength in a complementary way to uh, evangelizing the, the world that is, is such great need of the gospel today. It's interesting, Archbishop, you say that because that's the exact charism or mission of this program. <laughs> we present the, we like to call it, we present the riches of the churches, East and West. Of course, the emphasis in our program is the Eastern churches, but nonetheless, we do as we're doing today. We present the Eastern and Western riches of the church. And historically, Archbishop, the differences between the, the two lungs of the church, and they go back far enough, they weren't maybe as dramatic as, as we see them today, correct? 
I, I would agree, especially when we look at the, the specifically the, the Greek or Byzantine uh, traditions and our Roman traditions. When we look at our, our liturgical life, our spiritual life, we see a lot of commonality and uh, coming back to a, a common ancient root. And well, in liturgical life, in the liturgical seasons, uh, the sense of vigils and fasts between before great feasts. Uh, we're still in the month of January when we celebrate the Theophany, as it's called in the Byzantine tradition, uh, Epiphany for us, the practice of a blessing uh, Epiphany water, which we traditionally had in our, our church, has fallen into disuse at this point. Uh, but hearkening back to the baptism of our Lord. So, in, in terms of our, our, our spirituality and our liturgical traditions, as different as they might appear uh, at first, uh, there is a lot of commonality there. And, and again, it's it's each tradition lending its own particular perspective or insight into it, uh, which enriches the life of the whole church. And a lot, a lot of times, people ask me uh, when they're not familiar with the like the Byzantine Church, Eastern churches, they say, "Well, is your mass the same as ours?" In other words, the Roman Catholic. Yes. And my answer is similar to what you just said. I usually say to them, "Well, the best way I can explain it is the, the, the skeletal structure. The skeleton is pretty much the same. Yes. It's the meat and yes. the bones is different. Yes. You know, like I'll say, you would have." For instance, if you want to talk about the skeleton, you have in both of our churches, you know, we have readings, we have blessings, we have all the communion, you know, we have homilies, we have litanies, you know. So really, when you, when you take the the bare bones, it's very, and even the structure, the flow of it is very similar. It's the same basic structure. Uh, there's an introductory part, and then there's the proclamation mm-hmm. of the word, and then there's a rite of uh, preparation for the anaphora, or we would call the canon or Eucharistic prayer, mm-hmm. and and communion, and and throughout there, yes, uh, blessings, litanies, and so forth. But it's always the word is always proclaimed first yes. before the Eucharist is celebrated, because right. that's the pattern of our salvation. The word became flesh. Right. The f- word was first proclaimed by the prophets and written in Scripture in the period of the old Old Testament. Then the Word became flesh in the period of the New Testament. So that's the church's liturgy follows that pattern in, in all apostolic churches. It works that way. And then there's even the the coming out of, sort of the dismissal part, part of the, yes. the end too. Yeah, the, <laughs> the sending forth. The sending forth, yeah. It's the exact same stru- you know, bare-bones skeletal structure yes. in East yes. and West. It's interesting how the liturgy has preserved that all these years. And it's amazing, too, how the liturgy, both East and West, immerses us in, as you just said, into the liturgy. Really the life of the scripture of, of the of Christ the Christ event you know the, even chronologically so and, and it's through a liturgy both east and west that we enter into that mystery you know the the Bible the, the scripture the events the people of the Bible Christ of course himself above all we become that you know we enter into that and when we come back we're going to talk more about how liturgy figures into our faith and also into efforts for ecumenism i'm father thomas lawyer with our special guest archbishop cordiglione of the archdiocese of san francisco on light of the east light of the east mission is christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the catholic church we need your support in order to keep light of the east on the air you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com that's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card with your help we can keep light of the east's illumination bright father loya invites you to see the new Tabor life website that's taborlife.org when you land on the home page you can see how Tabor life can help improve your marriage 
your life, and how to see the beauty of God's created order in your personal life. On TaborLife.org, you can book Father Loya to speak to your organization about the key elements of leadership, relationships, and sexuality, as well as speak on cultural, social, and political issues. As a renowned artist, Father Loya can speak about how art, liturgy, and prayer fit together. On TaborLife.org, you can see the many ways of how you can communicate with us. And as you look to the lower right-hand corner of the page, click on the messenger icon for live chat. And finally, Taper Life Institute is a 5013C charitable organization that earnestly needs your support. Click on the support link at the top of the page and donate. After all, Taper Life is powered by you. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyal. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. To hear the rest of this and other Bold Talks with Father Thomas Loya, visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click subscribe. 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 Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Our special guest with us today, as we are right in the middle of the week of Christianity in the church, is Archbishop Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco. Before the break, we were talking about the efforts that are being done by people like the Archbishop and others of the Eastern Orthodox churches to bring about or move towards unity, at least, at the very least, to have good relationships, keeping up some kind of relationship where they can even pray together and share some things together. But we also then mentioned that one of the key areas here is the area of liturgy. And the Eastern churches, of course, are very, very liturgically based, and liturgy is very important to them. Well, it's important in the West as well, but there's a particular importance in the East. They look at the West, and they look sometimes with a certain confusion or a little askance at some things that have happened liturgically in the West. But there's also things that are happening that I think the Eastern churches would be very, very impressed with and very encouraged by. And you are doing some of those things, Archbishop. So tell us about that in the place of liturgy, even in ecumenism. Admittedly, there has been uh, some confusion and even turmoil in these last 50 years with the liturgical changes. Uh, In the West, I think we can learn a lot uh, from the East how that the liturgy has remained the same, but as a living tradition, engaging the active participation of the people, which was beginning to develop in in the Roman Church even before the Second Vatican Council. The idea of that uh, active participation, though, led to some what appeared to be uh, rather radical changes. Uh, So there's been some kind of confusion and, and unfortunately, a a dropping or an even disparaging at times of our sacred traditions of, of sacred beauty. So we have in San Francisco, we've founded the Benedict XVI Institute for Sacred Music and Divine Worship 
to try to reclaim the tradition of sacred beauty of our church and incorporate it into the living tradition of the liturgy. And I've seen how effective this is in evangelizing and lifting the soul to God. We have a number of different initiatives. Uh, first of all, we've had working uh, for the Institute for some years, Father Samuel Weber, who has produced some very uh, useful uh, resources for parishes, a book of Propers of the Mass set to different levels of difficulty and complexity of chants. So when a congregation learns one level, they can move on to the next level. These are the set liturgical texts. 99.9% of the time in our churches, a hymn or popular song is sung in place of the actual introit chant or communion chant, which is the liturgical text from Scripture. So Father Samuel has put these liturgical texts to singable chant in English. Uh, he's also has worked on the Ignatius Press Pew Missal, which uh, also has chant settings for those uh, introit and communion, as well as the responsorial psalm, and there's an appendix with of, of hymns. So there are many uh, beautiful, useful resources he's worked on uh, developing. We also have a, a teaching choir to help uh, teach parish choirs how to sing chant, and if they get good enough, uh, polyphony as well. And interestingly, I enjoy telling this anecdote. We have a San Quentin State Prison in, in our archdiocese, and I go there at least twice a year to celebrate Mass for the inmates there. When I was explaining this to the chaplain last year, when I was going there to celebrate the Mass and explain about this teaching choir, he asked me if they could teach the men at San Quentin to sing chant. Hmm. So their first so-called gig was at our state prison <laughs> in San Francisco. Oh. They they did a concert and explained about Chan and how it works and had 25 men sign up for the Chan Scola. 25 criminals? 25 men. Now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now here it's up to 30 are singing uh, regularly as— My goodness, in, in really? The, in the, they have a dedicated Catholic chapel there. Uh, so— uh, I, I see how it ennobles the soul. This teaching choir also serves as a choir for me when I celebrate Mass in different areas that are not parish Masses, where you use the regular parish choir. Sometimes outside groups have me for Mass. I had last year during the summer, we have a camp for high school-aged uh, boys who might be interested in the seminary. I celebrated the closing Mass at which the parents were invited, and this choir sang and they sang some beautiful sacred pieces, and it moved the parents to tears. Mm. These parents were are of an age now that they did not grow up with this. Yeah. For many of them, if not all, this was their first exposure to this kind of music. Mm. And it was so beautiful, it moved them to tears. We are also blessed in, in our Bay Area to have a composer of sacred music who's quite renowned, Frank LaRocca, whom we have now engaged as our uh, composer in residence, and have begun commissioning him to compose music for sacred liturgies. The first one we had just uh, last month in December, we celebrated Our Lady of Guadalupe for the whole Archdiocese. We celebrate that the Saturday before the feast day, which uh, last year was December 8th. So we celebrated the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, Patroness of the United States, as we honored Our Lady Guadalupe for the whole Archdiocese, Patroness of Mexico. So I asked Frank to compose what I called the Mass of the Americas, where he composed sacred music, but incorporating melodies and themes of the popular songs that the Mexican people sing for Our Lady Guadalupe. And it became very effective. It's, uh, it was very beautiful. And again, it, it ennobled the spirit. It, it, it raised everyone. The, our vicar for Hispanics uh, mentioned to me that how beautiful this liturgy was. He wasn't sure how he was going to weave together these themes of Immaculate Conception and Guadalupe and 
the celebration of Guadalupe and with the procession and so forth. Uh, but he said it was such a beautiful liturgy and Spanish speaking people are not provided that type of beautiful liturgy. Mm. And he said in doing so that I dignified the people in mm. providing that that type of a liturgy. Frank even composed a communion meditation, which was the uh, Ave Maria, the Hail Mary prayer, in the native language of the Aztec people, Nahuatl, which was the language that Our Lady spoke to St. Juan Diego in when she revealed herself there at, at Tepeyac. So it was, uh, the idea was Our Lady unites, you're, we're on this theme of unity, <laughs> Our Lady unites all of God's children. As I was reflecting on this Mass and reflecting on my homily, I couldn't help but think back to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where there's the Greek chapel yes, uh -huh. and the Roman chapel next yes. to each other, mm -hmm. and in the middle is the icon of Our Lady. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she unites yeah. all of God's children. Absolutely, yes. Can anyone, is there access to this Mass, like the recording of it, or that people could hear this music anywhere? Yes, there's a, there's a YouTube clip of the Mass. Uh, people could also uh, find information about it at uh, our website, benedictinstitute.org. There are also clips of, of some of the um, sacred uh, uh, musical pieces as well. Benedictinstitute.org. Benedictinstitute.org. And then also they can find out some information about just about chant and liturgy and so on. No, this, this is accessible. It's not just for seminarians. Uh, it's, it's accessible. No, this, right? this is for everyone. We also have a project teaching children how to sing chant. We have a, a music director in our archdiocese that's going to school choirs to teach them how to sing chant. We've also engaged uh, another choir director uh, who's been doing chant camps for many years now for children up to teens, Marianne Carr Wilson. She is very effective in teaching children and teens how to sing chant. She'll do a chant camp in the summer a week, mm. and at the end of the week, they can chant the whole Mass, wow. Latin as well as English, and she's very uh, clever because she knows how to catechize them through the music <laughs> yes. without them even being aware of it. <laughs> yeah, very good, yes, uh, because liturgy is very pedagogical. Exactly. You know, just, by, exactly. just by nature, by default, in a sense. You know. Uh, now, th this composition, by going back to Frank, uh, Frank LaRocca. Frank LaRocca, yes. This composition was, the music was, it had the spirit of the great music of the West, right? Of the of the the classic music or great chant. It's it's, it's a classic polyphony, but it's a living tradition. It kind of sounds a little more modern, uh, not in the sense of pop music, but in sacred music. But it it reflected elements of the local culture. What mm -hmm. I asked Frank to do was, I told him what the Franciscan missionaries did with sight through mission church architecture. Mm -hmm. You look at a mission church, yes. it's clearly a Catholic church, it's right. clearly in that tradition, right. but it also reflects elements of the local culture and the right. materials that are used and the type of art and so forth. I said, that's what I want you to do with sound through yes. music. Yes. So it, you, we reflect the elements of the local culture and we incorporate them, but in a way that sacralizes it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not just taking it wholesale and inserting it into the sacred liturgy, because right. that, that's mixing the profane and the secular. Right. But we can take the profane. Profane is not a negative term. It right. has a negative connotation, yes, but it means yeah. it's what, what's not sacred. But we take that and we sacralize it and, and incorporate it within the sacred tradition of the church. That's very much what he did. If if people can go online and watch the mass and listen to the music, you can tell it's sacred, but it has this sense of of the local culture. For one thing, for example, I asked him that the the Guadalupe hymn that the uh, Mexican people sing uh, on that feast day has a certain melody to it, 
La Guadalupana, La Guadalupana, La Guadalupana, Bautepe. So I said, take, like, for example, that melody and incorporate it into into the sacred. And I could tell where he was doing it at the mm-hmm. Gloria, for example. I recognized the melody. Miserere nobis, miserere nobis, mm. in a kind of a subtle way. And uh, other melodies as well he incorporated into it. So it has the feel of, to me, it like transports me into that world of yes. the early evangelization mm-hmm. of that part of America. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it became alive and... Uh, our Lady was so very present. Uh, there was truly something holy happening at that Mass that day. Well, let's hope that Mass can uh, get around. <laughs> We're looking to take the Mass on the road. Uh, we're all in communication with the Diocese of Dallas and the Diocese of Tyler that are both interested in hosting it. And as in God's providence, Dallas has the Cathedral of Our Lady Guadalupe and Tyler the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. We're also in communication with the Archbishop of Tijuana, who's interested in hosting it there, and we'll be looking for other venues as well. Well, thank you for all your tremendous work, Archbishop, and also thank you for being on our program here once again. Hope to have you back often. I look forward to it. (laughs) And thank all of you that you do for the sake of unity, and certainly by listening to this program. Let's all continue to pray for unity in the Church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road. 
Homer Glen, Illinois, or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.